this house, there's some hoes in this house, there's some hoes in this house, there's some hoes in this house. I said certified free. Seven days a week. Hello Nick, welcome to our holiday special season finale after after we've already had a brief break. <laughs> Sam and I were just talking about how wonderful our discipline has been this year with bringing this podcast to the people on a regular basis. Um, are we calling it the holiday special? Are we calling it 2020 wrapped or is that already trademarked by Spotify? Yeah, I think we might get in trouble for that. So holiday special sounds good. It sounds festive. And also it's coming to the end of our, I believe we started the podcast at the start of this year and we've been through everything, haven't we? We have. Your multiple multiple thoughts that you had COVID, um, me being in lockdown in Italy to going to lockdown in New York. It's been an amazing year of, of pandemics, bushfires, the cancellation of Ellen DeGeneres. It's been a crazy year, but what's gotten us through is... The Cranberry Juice Man. The Cranberry Juice Man. Dogface 2000 or whatever his name was. And incredible music and incredible musical moments. And I'm excited to do a little bit of a, a, uh, a retrospective on 2020 with you right now. Well, that's the strange thing about this year is it's been so terrible in so many ways, but um, so good for music. And it felt like at the start of the pandemic, everybody got a little bit scared and they hit the pause button on it. But they've come out of it and rethought ways to do things and it's been creative and everything's been spontaneous. And I don't think we could have expected to be ending this year with music on the point that it is, which in terms of recorded music is at a very high point i think and i think it's been a great year and we talk about all these albums in the context of their years whether we're doing ones from like 2008 or 2015 but there's not there's hasn't been a year quite like 2020 so this is going to be fun you're exactly right it's made the music industry more agile than ever and this is an industry that's already very agile and moves fast and thinks quick and pivots hard when it needs to and it's been the most testing year of all with the reduction yeah. of live touring and the classic things that artists do to get a number one record. But they thought hard, they thought fast, they played a long game. As, as Dua Lipa said, we love to milk it, babes. They, they've milked <laughs> the records for all they were and come out with some really good stuff. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through month by month and we've picked a record, in some cases two records because we couldn't decide, um, that really defines the month. So they're not necessarily flops, but they will give us a starting block to talk about where music was at in that month and the artists that kind of defined this year. So we're going to start at January, obviously, because... We are slaves to the calendar and we're going to start with the first kind of high profile release of the year, which was Selena Gomez's Rare. So Rare came after she'd already had the number one single with Lose You To Love Me, her first US number one. She'd rolled it out Look At Me Now as well, which was kind of the flip side, the pop side of what she was doing. Um, and then she delivered this album off the back of it. How did you feel about Rare? At the time. Well, at the time, which feels like two and a half years ago now. It does. I, <laughs> I was really... This is BP before pandemic. Yeah. Or BC before corona. Was I was confused cleverer. with what Selena was trying to do with this record. But mm. eventually when it all came together, it made a lot of sense. Um, so yeah. obviously with, you know, with the early singles, you go from a ballad to an absolute bop. And then... Then she comes back with Rare, which is a proper, beautiful 2020-style pop hit. And, yeah. you know, trying to trying to sort of feel out all of those different styles of songs that she was pulling together, it was hard to work out what she was. But I think this gave us more of a glimpse than ever into Selena, to be honest with you. And I think this was a yeah. redefinition from her being a celebrity into that I'm a pop star space again. And shedding shedding all the drama around her, shedding all the people around her that have defined her life so far, particularly the men that have have sort of been a part of the narrative of Selena. And just making great pop music with really interesting collaborators that some she revisited. So working with Leland again um, on Rare that 
they they did some work on the, the album before, um, but also trying some new stuff as well. And so I think this came through with a, an exciting opportunity for Selena to really own the year, but the year yeah. had other plans. It did have other plans. It's so bizarre to look back on this album, as you said. It really felt like the start of an exciting year where we were being promised a lot of big albums from big pop stars. And I think there's almost a benefit of doing it in January because we've been starved of big releases for at least a month at that point. So yeah. it did feel exciting when Rare came out. Um, I'd, I really like Rare, the title track. I think that's probably the one that sticks out for me and the one that stuck with me all year. Agreed. However, and it's not entirely her fault, I think that when you think about Rare now, it's it should have done more. It should have stuck around longer. There should have been more more singles that stuck to radio, particularly she gave the deluxe edition another portion, had a new single that didn't do anything. So I think she went into Rare with the potential to be one of the biggest pop stars on earth and proved it with Lose You To Love Me grabbing number one and then just completely lost that momentum. And I think we end the year with Selena Gomez in a position where people could likely forget that she even existed this year in terms of the music sphere, which is weird. Um, She should be up for like Grammy nominations Mm. and stuff like that. She should be competing in that arena and she's not. And I just don't think the album, it's as... As strong as it was at points, I just don't think it hit big enough to be able to withstand the rest of the year in the way that a lot of these albums that we're going to talk about after this kind of do. I think you've really hit the nail on the head with that. It didn't have the staying power that it potentially could have had. I think it had a couple of good songs on it. Dance Again is one that I think people forget was on there. That really was a good. Sort of a gr- bad little fan single choices, song. that could have been. Yeah, one. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the wrong yeah. singles that didn't represent who she is now and didn't represent that, you know, the the first single, I think the bold choice of Lose You To Love Me coming out with that enormous ballad, which I think is a great song, that yeah. if it was str- records as strong as that for the whole way through the release cycle, Rare is good, but she's cute. She's not powerful yeah. she's not a huge song she's just no, a cute song she's intricate yeah and she's i just for the the carly ray jepson fans of pop you know i like agree the, with that the smaller circles yeah yeah exactly she's a local whereas <laughs> you need international you need international kind of records that are going to resonate like lose you to love me and and when lose you to love me came out at the the back end of last year i remember it really did dominate the conversation and there was a lot yeah. of kind of conversations people were having with Selena at the time, and she was very focused and very defined and, um, and aware of who she was. And, and I just don't know if the songwriting re- ended up reflecting that in the end. And let's not forget the critics were coming around to Selena as well because she had Bad Liar and Fetish, which are two phenomenal records in my opinion and yeah. so clever and so like unlike anything else that's on radio. And I just think she kind of lost that with this. There was nothing um, like nothing so different that you would think of her as her own kind of artist. As the album went on, she kind of blends into whatever's going on on the radio. But there are some really strong singles at the top end of the album. I do think it could have had more legs. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's just it was a strange year and it's difficult to do anything I think you've almost had a benefit if you released your album in within the pandemic. Yeah. Because I think at least you had a strategy of what to do. Those that came before were kind of left a little bit lost. I agree. I agree because the whole idea of milking the record and making the record last as long as it can, when the pandemic really started to take hold in that kind of late Feb, early March period, um, that's when you know, the conversation changed so much that anything that happened in that top part of this year was just forgotten about. It was such a, there was so much information and so much change going on that we just had no time for remembering records like Rare, um, which is the unfortunate fact. I think you raised a good point though. I think if she stuck to those, you know, she really became the queen of the whisper bop. And so if she stuck to Hands to Myself and, and like you mentioned, Bad Liar, I mean, she was doing interesting, intricate, weird pop with like almost like Bad Liar, that talking head sample 
and little spoken word verses. Real, like it was a brilliant, brilliant pop song. And I think so she good. Stuck to that and the, fun stuff. She could have really won. The lyrics were so like obscure and so uniquely um, Justin Tranter and Julia Michaels and Selena. Like it was just, yep. it's just the absolute peak of their trio and I, I just didn't get that enough on this album as well i know like i think cut you off towards the end is the one where uh you really get to hear some of those really raw lyrics but it just there wasn't enough of it all over the album to yeah. to set it apart all right let's move on to february because this, this is, is going, going to go end up three being... and a half <laughs> <laughs> this one will be quick because um we're talking about justin bieber's changes for february which in my opinion is the worst mainstream pop album of the year or r&b album sorry as he would call it (laughs) i remember us conversing about changes a lot in the episode that we did around journeys journeys What's that record? Journals. Called? Journals. Journals. <laughs> Journeys. It's been a long year. It has. Um, and I remember your slander towards the Changes record, of mm-hmm. which I would agree with the majority of it. Um, the good thing about Justin, which I think puts him apart from, and not to go on the Justin and Selena thing, but if we're going to put it in the context of what we were just talking about with Selena, about being not quite memorable at the back end of this year. Whereas you look at Justin yeah. and he's got two of the biggest hits on pop radio at the moment in Monster with Shawn yeah. Mendes and Holy with Chance. Both those records, not off changes. And he's always been good at this. Just as he's about to come out of cycle, he flips the script a little bit and puts out one of those interim singles. So just as he's I... about to come out of the cycle with um, with the, the records of... Uh, I'm so bad with album names today. The one that had sorry Changes. on it. Changes. Oh, no, purpose. Purpose, purpose. purpose. Yeah. Just as he was about to come out of the purpose stuff, that's when the collaborations yeah. began again. And and he puts himself in a little pockets of other artists and other, other fan bases um, and makes himself relevant again. But if this record is what we're talking about, it had one good song on it. It had one song with a lot of talkability on it yeah. in Yummy. And the rest was horrendous. You're right. It's just so boring and so middle of the road. And Yummy is... The fact that Yummy is nominated for Grammys should be enough to burn that system to the ground. It's just outrageous. I do agree with you that he is still being talked about and he is good at staying in the the mainstream. But Changes had two singles and these latest singles feel like a reaction to its fading popularity. Yeah. Because this was meant to be his big return and it just like it just went down like a lead balloon that's a really good point if we're looking at the record itself and we're looking at its actual impact yeah it had none it was none it was a really misguided album it was just an experimenting i reckon and he's so so like wanky about the genre of it to call out the grammys for an r&b like mate you should be thanking your lucky stars that you got a nomination in any category you should be collecting best world music if that's what they put you in <laughs> Just shut up and collect your award. Okay, can I play devil's advocate here? Yeah. With Yummy. Not personally my favourite song he's ever done, but I understand it's... <laughs> listen, hear me out. I understand it had talkability around it because it was purposefully Bad. a bit ridiculous, purposefully a little bit OTT, a little mm-hmm. bit weird. So I get it. I don't quite get the Grammy nomination, but I get, <laughs> I get the. I mean, there's a reason we're having a conversation about it, and we can remember it in there is late a December. Yes. Um, but as an album in total, I mean, Intentions is great, and I think Justin's voice does lend itself well to R and B. He's got the I tone agree. for it. It was just the actual records he came out with with this album that weren't quite there. And if you look at this in comparison to Journals, when he last probably flexed that R&B muscle, this pales in comparison. He's good when he's a little bit weird, a little bit quirky for the whole album, but when he tries to go serious white boy R&B, it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, like, I, I'm a about to get married or whenever this thing 
hallblowed away and we can get married. Yeah. But there's nothing that scares me more than listening to this album because he makes it sound so boring. <laughs> <laughs> like, if that is what love, like, the biggest love that you can think of that makes you write this huge album about being in the most perfect relationship and that's... <laughs> You'll be headed like straight for the divorce Even Sean Mendes makes it sound more, more interesting. <laughs> but, but before we quickly move on, I think Justin has, yeah, once once again done a really good job of, of pivoting and keeping himself relevant. Um, yeah. Whilst the two new songs are much better. Than fantastic song. Holy is a smash. And Holy is like, Holy is a fantastic John Bellion song. And I'm, uh, yeah. you know, I think John would have done a just as good job, but I think, yeah, that's turned out to be a really nice, fun, kind of lame, but in a really nice way kind of song. And I, I like Mon- yeah. I like Monster a lot as well, but I mainly like it for Sean's involvement. <laughs> okay, moving on to March. And if you'll cast your mind back to March, I think we did an episode on Tuvelo. Uh, as the world was starting to go into shutdown, I was in Italy and by the time I'd returned to New York, the world was in shutdown and we were left with a teary Dua Lipa on Instagram Live announcing that her album Future Nostalgia was coming forward a week to be released um, because it had leaked and not only had it leaked, but it was now being released in possibly the most difficult week for the music industry this year. I admire the amount of teary live streams Dua, Le- D- 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 Dua did this year. Absolutely. There were she so held many. Held nothing back. Held nothing back. And despite it being her being the most fabulous, glistening pop star on the planet, she also is a extremely vulnerable and authentic pop star as well. Um, yeah. I think you raise a really good point here that I think she allowed the pandemic to play into the point of future nostalgia. I think it was yeah. mo- way more appreciated than it potentially would have been had it not been a year that required an antidote, had it not yeah. been a year that needed Agreed. that little gem. That said, if you take the, take, taking these records on balance objectively, they're still fucking fantastic. But and I, oh, I remember, yeah, taking nothing away from it. I remember having the pleasure, I believe in January, of sitting... Uh, no, sorry. It would have been Mardi Gras, mid-February. Mid-February. Yeah. So just before, maybe two, three weeks before the borders closed, Dua was in Australia for Mardi Gras. And I had the pleasure of uh, uh, taking an audience with her and hearing three or four songs from the record. And this was at a point where we didn't know how weird this year was going to get. We didn't know what it was going to be. We knew there was a a virus somewhere. We didn't understand what that actually was going to mean. And I still remember then going, this is the album of the year. So I think on balance, the records are still very strong. But the absolute, the world-beating power of this record, what it's done for her career, what it's done for pop music... Like, she is now the favourite artist of all of her favourite artists. Um, she's the people's pop star. Absolutely. So she I, is. And I sorry, think she, go on. No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's all about back and forth here at Flop Stars. Um, I, I think she really, and her team as well, she's got a really smart team around her in management and yeah. label. They did a really good job of going, all right, we've got, a, we've got an opportunity here. And I think even just moving it forward one week was a really smart move. Yeah, it's so weird. You wouldn't even have thought that at the time. At the time, it was like, this is disastrous. I remember seeing her appearing on, maybe it was like Jimmy Fallon or something. And she was like performing with like basically just the mic off her computer or whatever and like green screen in the background. And And you know that like this is a, this is a pop star who became known for her music videos and for her performances. And she was really starting to prove herself as a dancer and have a real presence on the stage. And this album gave itself to that perfectly. It was meant 
it was meant to be over the top and it was meant to come with huge stage performance and huge visuals and suddenly she's like reduced to promoting it from an airbnb in london it's not even her house (laughs) so it's like it's just insane what she was able to do and considering we're now at the end of the year and can look back and i don't think you can say anybody has had a better year than dua has like she's just grown a completely new audience she's established herself as a pop star which often doesn't happen on the second album yeah and just had this phenomenal era and i remember when it came out and it was like because i i guess i'd be like you you wait for friday to come around and you get that little dopamine hit from looking at new music friday and then scroll 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 this album so, oh yeah, sorry you've frozen. You oh, it just so, looks like you're looking at you're oh. looking at me very intensely. Oh, hang on, I can tell I've frozen because Zoom is not responding. That's great. Can you hear <laughs> anyway, me? Anyway, I can hear your audio. Okay, you'll have my video back shortly, I believe. Okay. Um, I thought you were getting cross at something I was oh, saying. No. Anyway, yeah. you you scroll through New Music Friday and you get that rush. And when the pandemic hit and people started pulling releases, like you started to feel that maybe this year could be, could have no music. And I remember the feeling of listening to future nostalgia and being like, Oh, finally, finally, there's something, this is something that we can get into in the interest of pumping this podcast ahead. I think we are both in agreement that future nostalgia is one of the real moments of this year. hundred percent. Um, and a, and a real moment for Jura and one that's going to push her, forward into the next phase of her career with a lot of momentum yep a hundred percent i let's move forward from there we love dua we love every pivot she did we love to milk it babes um watching the future nostalgia live studio 2054 thing was remarkable club future nostalgia was everything she is the moment she will continue to be the moment i don't know how she's ever going to top this record but i think if anyone can if anyone can pull that rabbit out of their hat it'll be dua yeah good luck to her so we move into april so april we were meant to have gaga's chromatica Mm. heim's new album sam smith's new album called to die for which was a just (laughs) terribly unfortunate title for i still find that really funny i still find that very (laughs) very funny (laughs) you can't predict a global pandemic that's killing you just cannot predict (laughs) it So they all pulled, all the major releases pulled it and instead we were left, left with Rina Sawayama's Sawayama, which just got such a moment because I think people were so starved of music at this fa- this stage that people who were never talking about Rina before just zoned into this album and thankfully this album was excellent. So it really elevated her to a new place, but she still kind of exists in that, critics um like very niche pop fan circle without infiltrating the charts just yet what what are your thoughts on rena i know that you had the pleasure of chatting with her last week honor and pleasure of talking with her around lucid and and reflecting on the year and the album um yeah and i i i I think you you once again have hit the nail on the head um, that this is definitely still a record and still an artist that sits with those really indie pop fans and the pop yeah. discoverers, not necessarily the core pop heads um, that might be, you know, surrounding themselves with a Dua Lipa record from the month before. Um, this is definitely yeah. still an indie pop record. I, I wouldn't suggest you would meet too many... Um, you know, just general pop fans that, that know who Rena is and have heard the record. Um, but it was just so fucking good. And you're right. It got a moment to kind of be yet again one of those antidote records that we needed. Um, Rena, I, I feel like we finally know who Rena is and what she, sta- what she represents musically yeah. um, on this album. And, you know, I think she'd been working towards something this bold and glistening and loud and proud um, yeah. giving the gays everything they want. And <laughs> I love, yeah, I think there was a great kind of dancey energy to it. There was a little bit of that sort of, um, yeah, a, a, that real sharp, pristine pop pastiche to it mm. all as well. And, and really had a moment to set her in as what she is and who she is. The, I don't think she's close to her moment yet. I think there's probably another no. album or two before 
we get her to the point of mainstream notoriety and mainstream love, um, which she definitely will get because she's unique, she's authentic, she's funny as hell. Um, She's really good at engaging with her fan base and the bops are there. So I think she's she's definitely still got a moment to happen. I think this is just the beginning. This year too was such an unprecedentedly... um, a big year for pop in the way that it returned to that really bold theatrical, um, very dancey kind of brand of pop that we hadn't heard much of since kind of like the mid 2010s. And I think this album came at such a good point as well, because it really does lean into that. It's, it holds nothing back. Like you move from these really this really theatrical opening that could be a Bond theme song to like, <laughs> da- to like Lucid, the most recent one is so dancey and so radio friendly. But then you've got Bad Friend, which is just a great straight down the line pop song. You've got like rock songs on there. She just does everything. And it re- she really reminds me of Gaga and kind of her creative prime fame monster moving into Born This Way kind of era because she's not she doesn't feel like she's held back from anything and I think that's what made it so exciting and so Ayama couldn't have been a more perfect album for this year beautiful words thank you that was should we lovely. do a game I think we should do a game are you ready for it yeah I'm ready so this is a game called chicken or egg because it was going to be called What Happened First? And then I thought, that's what people say about the chicken and the egg. You know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, very clever. So I'm going to give you two moments. One moment is non-music related, just something that happened in 2020. And one is music related. And you've got to tell me which came first, because throughout this year, it's been very difficult to keep track of what's going on in this very bizarre world. Um... So are you ready to roll with the first one? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. I got my first COVID test or the weekend got upset at the Grammys. Which happened first? I'll start you off on a relatively easy one. I think you got your first COVID test. Okay. I got my first COVID test in May and the weekend only got upset at the Grammys approximately two weeks ago. So you're correct. Congratulations. (laughs) Now it gets hard. This one gets harder. Horny baboons escape a Sydney hospital and go on the (sighs) run across the city. Oh, my God. Or Lady Gaga releases Chromatica jock straps (sighs) for sale on her merch store. Which incredible moment in history happened first? Oh, God, this has got to be so close. The baboons escaping a Sydney test facility... Horny baboons, that is. And run rampant. I'm going to say the baboons came first. I feel like they were like really peak lockdown for you guys. Interesting. The answer is baboons escape. Congratulations. (laughs) Roughly a six week window between baboons escaping and the Chromatica Jockstraps. Oh, wow. That's really close. Yeah, very close. Um, but the baboons escaping is still probably the best story of 2020. Everything like I've never seen Twitter go into more of a meltdown over something in my entire life. It was just, it's a beautiful Australian moment. Um, okay. And gay Twitter went into meltdown for gay. the Gaga, Gaga yeah. which I don't think have arrived yet. Most people I know have not received them yet. We it's... have a friend here who, who is the proud owner of one. <gasps> That's exciting. And I have seen it. When yeah. did it, when did it arrive? Um, about a month ago, I think. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Good work from Stephanie. She needs to get on the phone to the postal service. (laughs) She's just in there labeling away. Poor little thing. (laughs) Ellen DeGeneres addresses her audience about her cancellation or Harry Styles has the first number one rock single in the US in 15 years. Which happened first. This has got to be so bloody close. Yep. I think so. So, I feel like the watermelon sugar happened at the end of summer here. And Mm -hmm. then Ellen would have returned back to the studio just after that. So, I Mm -hmm. think watermelon sugar came first. Hmm. 
You are correct. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> there was approximately 40 days between the two matters. Wow, that's so, close. Watermelon Sugar went to number one on August 10, and Ellen returned to the television addressing the rumours of a toxic workplace environment on September 20. <laughs> so you did good. Very good. Now I left the <laughs> little hardest... did we know. Come the end of the year, we'd be celebrating Ellen and cancelling <laughs> watermelon sugar. <laughs> we found watermelon sugar's true hidden meaning, and it's not good. Yeah, it's not good. It's actually about Ellen writing. abusing her workplace, <laughs> and it celebrates it. It's very bad. <laughs> okay, this is the hardest one, but you have some personal experience. With this, Italy goes into full lockdown, yeah. or Dua Lipa releases Future Nostalgia, which happened first. This is really, really close. Yeah, because we left and Italy went into lockdown about probably within the week, and due up. Oh. Um, oh, it's hard. Italy went into lockdown. Four from four. Yes. On our last game of the year. Very good. See there what was... happens when you add a little bit of um <laughs> a little bit of cohesion and <laughs> <laughs> We don't do cohesion. And, a, and reasonable rules to your game. <laughs> I yeah, see I don't like it because you win when I have reasonable rules. I'm gonna go back to the subjective games again next year. That are based on my opinion and thought. I need to start drinking Prosecco during our <laughs> I agree. again. Then I get everything wrong. I'm currently in my combination of um, drinking a coffee and a kombucha phase of my life. So I have a coffee and then a down a kombucha straight after it. Oh, I like that combination. Thank you. I'm currently just drinking a water. Um, so there was oh, less than two weeks between those two things. So Italy went into full lockdown. Uh, sorry, less than three weeks. Italy went into full lockdown on the 10th of March and Dua released Future Nostalgia on March 27. So wow, very bloody close. Very bloody close. Very close. What a time. What a time. I liked May the most of the pandemic, I feel like. If I had to choose a month yeah. of lockdown, I enjoyed the most. So, it felt so we like should talk was... about an album from that period then. We should. I feel like people were starting to figure out how they could do this and how they could make this work. And the biggest shout out goes to Charlie XCX for being like, nobody's releasing albums. The whole music industry's fucked. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to announce an album that I haven't even started. <laughs> And she came up with this wild concept that she was going to basically document the entire process of making this album, which didn't exist. So she got on Zoom meetings with fans and she was on Instagram live swapping lyrics with them and we were hearing snippets of the songs and then she miraculously delivered it on time. And not only that, but I think it stands up as one of the better albums of this year but i think the interesting story around it is kind of the process absolutely and this at the time you know was no one had done it um especially no one this big had, had kind of gone i'm going to real time build this album with you because i've got nothing yeah. better to do um and write you know lyrics about this time and perform shows that reflect the moment and i remember her her shows around this album release um were, were some of the better early pandemic shows people weren't Definitely. sure how to do live streams still the first one who figured it out i think yeah 100 percent. i think the the documentation and that really authentic sharing of what she was doing at the time was so interesting and so fascinating to watch even getting to choose you know in real time we got to choose the album covers with her we got to choose the single covers we got to choose the press yeah. shots we got to be involved we got to make an album with her and, and we were all at home with, like, nothing to do. I know for me, I'm not sure if it was the same for you at this point, but this was, like, the quietest point of my work. In yeah. The things, have, things had started being pulled. And it gave you something to do. It was like, I've got to hop on Zoom with Charlie today and <laughs> see, see how she's going with the album. It was the period where we had no idea what was happening and we had no idea what things were going to look like we still thought we might have a chance of traveling to the, to the other side of the world within a month. 
um, yeah. which is insane to think about now. Um, yeah. And, and this was during that moment of real world transformation. We had something to latch on to. And I, let's, not, let's not leave to the side the records themselves being really, really strong. Um, yeah. The, the question remains, though, you know, is Charlie now a fan-only artist? Is Charlie now an artist for her fans only? Or does she have the propensity to make another smash? What do you reckon? Yeah, I think this album kind of solidifies her, really, like, sorry to use the word lockdown, but really locks her into, like, her fan base. I don't think if you were not a Charlie fan before this, you were going to come around to how I'm feeling now. It's a very chaotic, experimental, um, very kind of um, divisive album, I think, if you're not used to the kind of sonic choices she makes and the way she pushes the production and makes some very strange choices in terms of how she (laughs) distorts things and so i think yeah you wouldn't be a a big fan of this however we we don't know what comes next and charlie is always good at doing a detour and her original plan this year was to release quite a polished um very concept heavy album before she did a rushed one like this. Mm. So I think she was going to try and come for not the mainstream, but certainly for a place that's way more commercial than how I'm feeling now. And the year just didn't work out like that. So she did this. Who knows whether she'll be able to pick it back up and make that album she said that she was going to make. But for now, I think that how I'm feeling now is a really good record for her fans to have this year and no one else. She's still very young is what we've got to remember as well. Yeah. Like she's my age. Um, she's, she's got many years ahead of her as a, as a relevant pop star. And I think, yeah, yeah, maybe she's got the opportunity to turn it around to a mainstream faced audience again. But yeah, it's going to be hard to work out how that happens because I, I think you raise a really good point about the accessibility of being a new Charlie fan now. It, it's taken... Yeah. It took Pop 2 and, again, I'm having a blank on an album name, the other one, to really kind Number of... Number One Angel. Number One Angel. Of course, it was the first one. I couldn't remember. Shout out Season 1, Episode 2 of um, yes. Pop Stars Now Go check that out on Spotify and Apple Music. See, I, I re- Apple Podcasts, not Apple Music. We're not Apple, Apple Podcasts. My apologies. Um, St- I was going to say Steve Jobs, not Steve Jobs. Tim. May he rest. Timmy Cook. Or Tim Apple. <laughs> Tim. Tim. Um, I think it, the fact that we had those two albums to kind of learn what Charlie was like now and that she was getting more into this experimental mode, How I'm Feeling Now was a lot easier to access as a, as a fan. But, you know, you can't just go into How I'm Feeling Now, I don't think, and unless you've got the context of what she had been working towards. Um, Absolutely not. Can you imagine hearing something as abrasive as Anthem's? For the first yeah. time without ha- ever having Charlie before. Like, I'm no. so bored. <laughs> Unless oh you could really goodness. relate with that feeling, which I think most could at that point. It's um <laughs> this is one of the months that we've put in two albums and they couldn't be more different in terms of the rollout. Um the second one is Lady Gaga's Chromatica, which was meant to be released back in April or March, but it didn't happen. Yep. Um And I think once she realized that people were starting to release big releases again, she jumped in with Chromatica. But the plans that were to surround Chromatica were quite huge. She was going to perform at Coachella, an unannounced set, and she was going to play Chromatica in the dance tent from start to finish. I imagine she was billed on every kind of late night show and every award show under the sun. And instead, she was kind of left with, having to do zoom sessions and the way i see it is she kind of just was like nah (laughs) she gave us what she had and then she went which is fine because chromatica stands up without that but this could have been a real event and it just she just was like there's bigger things going on i'm not promoting this silly little pop I respect that because she had so much else going on as well. I mean, she was at the forefront of, you know, leading the charge as a pop star for, 
you know, yeah. the, the early COVID-19 efforts and using her celebrity status to, um, to really do something meaningful. So I like that she goes, here's the music, do with it what you will, but I'm out. I'm out of here. <laughs> and yeah. just fucked off for the and, rest of the year. And another example of not knowing what this year was going to bring, but giving us the perfect album that we needed. This is like, this is seriously just baseline pop music. It's like, it just gives you great hooks, big dance beats. Like, there's nothing too tricky about it. There's no. an interlude or, or three thrown in just to make it a little bit cinematic. But you could, most music fans could approach this and get some enjoyment out of Chromatica. And I just found it to be one of the most refreshing albums of the year and something that just felt completely uncomplicated and just fun to listen to. And every time we got to have a dance party of, like, anywhere between three to five people. <laughs> Chromatica always got an airing. Oh, and it, I just, like, it's just what we needed. And, I, like, and she wasn't to know, but it, yeah. it, it worked. It just worked so well. And I, I still think it's a great album from start to finish. I agree. It's a brilliant just return to dance pop that everyone had decided was too easy to do and everyone wanted to overcomplicate everything. And Gaga wanted to... Gaga has done that in the past and now she goes, right, I'm going straight back to my roots. I'm doing a classic pop record. I'm doing a classic pop release strategy as well. Announce the single with the cover art, couple of teasers, put it out, tell people when it's coming, announce the next single, put that out, release the video. Like it had a a classicness to it. And I think in times of, of great stress, we look for something we know and we look for something traditional and comfortable and nostalgic and a great 2010 style pop album release was exactly what we needed i think exactly yeah and i it's just wild to me that it just worked out that this was the time that it got released in because as much as we do want to hear it in clubs and hear it in the live arena it was almost more beneficial having it for our little dance parties and like just that those little moments where we could get some kind of escapism it it really worked in that context and even gaga just disappearing from a promotional perspective was <laughs> kind of fine she left what she needed to and that's it kind of that like, would have overcomplicated product. it that would have overcomplicated would things have, yeah. talking about the records too much and talking about the world of chromatica more than she needed to that would have overcomplicated it put the Can records you imagine out and run. giving like 11 minute alejandro style videos for anything off chromatica people's brains oh, would have been like blah, 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 what blah. the fuck is going Just on <laughs> not this, right not in this economy <laughs> So well done to Gaga. And yeah. I think Rain On Me is just a, a smash and that will kind of be remembered as the big pop moment of 2020, I think. Good good call. Moving on Agreed. to something that's not as... um, Didn't quite go as big as Chromatica, but was definitely a moment for Jesse and um, an album that we've done on Flop Stars. The only, like, the only recent album we've done on Flop Stars ever, I think. Uh, What's Your Pleasure, Jesse Ware, which just continued to get more and more attention as the year went on, and rightfully so. It was a real pivot for her from doing, like, um, kind of slower, Ed Sheeran co-penned, like, radio-ready pop songs into just being like, you know what, I'm a mother now with two kids, I've got a successful podcast, I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want, and what the fuck I want is a is a wild disco record that's just so escapist it isn't even funny. So I, I think great 2020 for Jessie Ware. A hundred percent. It was such a good album to have. Again, that antidote kind of feeling to it. Again, a little bit escapist. We needed this album this year. And I think it had some classicness to it as well. It had a bit of class to it, whereas the other disco records of the year were very yeah. fun, silly at points. Um, yeah, this had a, a sort of class to it, and that yeah, it was you know, sleek. It was sleek. It was sleek and sophisticated disco pop music, and Jessie is the exact kind of person that can bring that forward. And um, I think it was a great year for her. Obviously, we've we talked about this album on the podcast. Um, you can check out that episode. I feel like this has just been promotion for other episodes of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> <your> exactly. <laughs> um, this is like yeah. the best of thing they do on the radio when like they're off on holidays. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say though, I kind of forgot about the album. 
It's kind of not. Did you? Yeah. It, it, when I'm, you know, I'm currently going through looking at my favourite songs of the year, favourite albums of the year and stuff, and this one just kind of slipped off the radar in terms of its last Really? This ability. one stayed, but I mean, you know I'm a big Jesse fan. You, you are the Jesse Ware fan. But for every kind of um, gathering, small gathering, very small gathering, three to COVID five safe people. gathering we've had this year, this record just keeps coming back. <laughs> That may be because I have the Bluetooth. <laughs> I have, I'm connected to the speaker, but regardless, it kept coming back. You're the DJ. <laughs> You're always the DJ. Now, All right, go uh, and listen to the episode if you want more Jesse talk, but we should move on. We should. We're at 55 minutes. We're at 55 minutes. And we're Excellent. halfway through the year, and I have, okay. a, I have a hard out at 10.15, so... <laughs> Okay, so we have 25 minutes. 25 minutes to do the rest of the year in. Well, you're about to get the rest of the year in 25 minutes. <laughs> or, hear me out, do we do a part two? We could do a part two. What do you reckon? Let's do a part two. I like that. That's Should we play one idea. more game and we'll come back and we'll do part two? And of, we'll do part two. At the Flop Stars 2020 Wrapped. I like that. Year in okay, review retrospective. Cool. Whatever we've decided Which is to do. Basically, brand it. just Taylor Swift anyway. So. <laughs> um, all right. So, we've just made a decision. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get part two in a few days' time. Yay! I think. Yeah, because this is dragging on and we don't want to keep you. You're all well, very busy. We wanted, but also, I think we want to. There's just been so many impactful albums of this year that we don't want to under, under talk about them. We don't want to rush yeah, through them. Exactly. And I have also um, realised that I did forget to put an album down that I really want to talk about, which is Miley's Plastic Heart. Oh, so, absolutely. Um, which has got to go in there. So we're going to come back for a yarn. It's all making sense. Uh, and we're going to chat through the Taylor Swifts and the Sam Smiths and the Ava Maxes of the world. But for now, we're going to talk about the biggest songs of the year so far. Um, not so far, unless there's another big song that comes through. And <laughs> I would not be surprised at the days. moment. I would not be surprised. <laughs> not be surprised. Um, what we're going to do is I'm going to put number ones up against each other. So all these songs that we're going to do in this versus challenge, they've there's one last testy pop for the year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> these songs have all been number one, either in Australia or in the US, and we're going to put them up against each other. So the first one is Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande's Rain On Me versus Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's What. Oh, how dare you? This is very difficult know, to start two big collaborations. With. Two huge collaborations by two huge, you know, by four huge artists who really defined this year in their own ways. Um, they're hard to compare because... They're obviously in different lanes. I think they're both very fun records. Yeah. But you can't deny the cultural impact of WAP and the change that yeah. that did and the moment it is and the moment it continues to be. Um, it's, the rec- it's, it's just a ridiculous song. It's a ridiculous, brilliant record and I just you can't go past it I think if you were to put it up against anything in this list you can't go past that song so it's what yeah. for me definitely felt like the moment of the year uh, let's it, see what you did there it had been <laughs> the what did I do you did the but with two e's like that the way in the way you said it oh okay. yeah <laughs> thank you very kind of you to yeah, you did go, you did say good. that was intentional but we'll recognize right. um yeah, it definitely felt like a moment. It came at a point where we were kind of starved of, of big budget music videos as well because there'd been so long where the studios had been shut down and it was just wild to see something this high budget and this cinematic, particularly when you've got two people like Cardi returning with her first big single in a while, Megan The Stallion, who's arguably had a better year than anybody apart being apart from being shot in the foot. Um <laughs> So I think that would put a dampener on things, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would. We're not yeah, talking about but that. But she, by the way. she has serious. had a very, she has had a very good year. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it really just felt 
like it had all the pieces that it needed to be a big moment. Also, it was a great song and also ruffled a lot of feathers, which is needed as well. Yeah. For me, though, I just, I just can't go past Rain On Me just because of the kind of message that it has in a year like this and mm. being um, such a powerful pop anthem and bringing together Lady Gaga with Ariana uh, with Ariana, which almost feels like a changing of guards in terms of like the pop ladder. It just felt really nice to see two female pop artists coming together for something this big and this euphoric and escapist. And I guess yep. in a way, Cardi and Megan were doing that as well. I can't deny the impact of either of them. It's really bloody hard. It's a I'm really just, hard I'm one. I'm just going to go rain on me because for me personally, that was a, I thought that was a bigger. I don't know. It's not. No, even I get. Big, uh, I don't know. Uh, stick I don't know. to your guns. I'm just gonna stick do, to your yeah, guns, Dal. I'm just going to do that. I I'm floundering here. I support you. I support you, and I'm kind of glad you you wanted to do the other side because I don't want to. I don't want to push rain on me away for its cultural impact either. Yeah, exactly. They're um, both. They were both big moments. Yeah. Also, but I think t- talking cultural impact. Yes. What was the bigger one, and, and what was it? was a game changer. Yeah. But Rain On Me still incredible. And yeah, like seeing that video, like that video is just a game changer. Like the, actually you could say that about both of them. That's the thing. Both amazing, I know, we're amazing really, we're, We need to move Let's on. Let's move on. There's four of these. From this topic. Um, <laughs> the weekend's blinding lights. <laughs> Versus Doja Cat say so. So I've been a weekend detractor in the past. Um, a lot of the records bored the hell out of me over the journey. Um, and I found him quite whiny, um, to, to be honest with you. Um, but I love that he, you know, he sort of dabbled with this 80s synthy kind of stuff, Star Trekky kind of vibes on Starboy. Um, and obviously yeah. the work he did with Daft Punk over, over on that record with I Feel It Coming and stuff. He's definitely not been afraid of, of synth, despite being, a, I suppose, you know, if you were to box him in, it's R&B music. Um, and, and his yeah. voice obviously lends itself well there. I just think Blinding Lights was just this searing, you know, aha take on me, Pat Benatar, you know, just searing, almost rock anthem, like synth yeah. rock anthem. Yeah, Pat Benatar's a good good reference well it's kind of like what david getter ended up doing with let's love with sia which i believe now actually credits pat benatar because it's so fucking close to um to <laughs> pat Benatar's yeah song. let's love was a bit of a like <laughs> let's try and mimic what Dior and the weekend were doing yeah. see if we can get a hit out of it and i liked it but talking about these records love that doja doja say so i think yeah that was like the first you know that was really the first big tiktok song if we think about it like when yeah. TikTok became what it what it now is, a household name used by everyone, um, the first big dance to come off it was was to say so, and so it had yeah. really big lasting impact. I love that they're going back to that tr- that classical, you know, four to the floor beat, little you know acoustic guitar plucks, um, fun song, gorgeous, gorgeously written. Um, even with the inclusion of Doctor Redacted, um, so again another hard one for it different reasons. It could become reasons. a Grammy winner. It could be. Co- it could be about to be a Grammy winner. Yeah. But I'm going to have to go Blinding Lights because the weekend was robbed, and that song is just fantastic. And there were so Absolutely. many great songs on that record as well. Um, yeah. That yeah, it, it's redeemed as someone who wasn't a massive fan of the weekend. Um, this has absolutely turned me into one. Yeah. I've lo- I like Doja more and more every time I see her perform because I think she's a great performer, but mm. I just don't think she's... I, th- I think Say So was a premature number one, to be honest. I don't think it's yeah. there just yet. And I think she might have her moment, but f- for me, it just... I don't know. It's, it's fine. It's really fine. And maybe the Doctor Redacted thing ruined it a little bit for me. I think, th- I think but, um, so. It tarnished a bit. Yeah. I think it's, Boss Bitch was a better song. Better, way better. Shortly after, yeah, she's she does have. I don't mean to be like contrarian or anything, but she does have better songs, and I think say so. Obviously, had its TikTok moment, but Blinding Lights is a perfect, perfect song. Yeah, I think. 
Yeah. And it's hung around all year in the top 10 here. I think it's the longest running top 10 hit here ever. And rightfully so. They're just He doesn't put a foot wrong and nah. such a moment for him. And the fact that this is not nominated for Song of the Year, not only not nominated, but not winning Song of the Year and Record yeah. of the Year automatically is just wild to me. I agree. Okay. <laughs> the next matchup is BTS's Dynamite. Versus Tones and Eyes Dance Monkey. It might be Dance Monkey Fatigue for me. Yeah. I loved, I think Tones is a fucking brilliant artist. I love her voice. She's so chill. The songs are great. Dance Monkey is such a was such a world beater and and such a great moment for Australian music to put her on the on the global stage um, and obviously I tend to I tend myself to be the you know Australian music champion wherever possible but Dynamite is my favorite song of the year really it is perfect if we're talking about perfect with the weekend Everything about it is magic. I love the unnecessary key change, the attitude of every single member of the band showing off their stuff across various parts of the song, the 17,000 remixes BTS have put out of it. I love the way K-pop does releasing. It's so funny. Um, it's just... And their first English language song to be that yeah. fucking good and cross them over so hard and again it might be that antidote thing the song is just so it's three minutes of pure unadulted joy the lyrics are just and i love how manufactured it is as well yeah it's back to that manufactured 08 09 pop that yeah. is so factory made um and the songwriters the the songwriters were talking about just how you know much they wanted it to be a manufactured you know perfect slice of a song um yeah i I just i think dynamite is a really great song it's so good to see bts getting the moment they're getting because they're really really an exciting group of people they've got such great personality it's such a well cast band um and they've got such an adoring fan base so to see them actually cross over into the mainstream in such a massive way to me is really exciting so it's dynamite for me yeah yeah, I think you're right with the dance monkey fatigue. It's really hard to judge that song. Yeah. Fairly now, given how much of a rinsing it's had on radio. <laughs> to be honest, the first time I and power to tones and I like she's done incredibly well. Doesn't deserve any of the abuse she ha- she no. gets. And she has a great voice and a great career ahead of her, but and never never gravitated towards Dance Monkey. It's just too I don't know. You can see why why it went so big, but it's it just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Um, no fault of her own. I I get why it's went so popular. Yeah. BTS Dynamite. <laughs> it's it's yeah. It's so catchy. It's it's really fun, and such a mo undeniably a moment for them. I think there is there is both fault and benefit in it being so formulaic. It feels like it was made in a lab. And and that results in it being basically a perfect pop star, a perfect pop song because it is literally what you would find in the dictionary if you looked up pop song. Yeah. But I think it also kind of like blends their personalities together a bit and like doesn't bring it out as much as other moments that the band have had. Yeah. Um. So I don't think it's perfect, but I think it is the winner in this this battle and nice. I'll do, I'd happily listen to it a few times. I now. knew that was going to be a hard one for you and I'm, yeah. I'm glad with your result. I, my goal for one of my 2021 goals is to learn who is who in BTS. Yeah. But it's hard because there's seven of them. There's seven. There. So I've only just bloody learnt who the little mix girls are. And then one of them is <laughs> fucked off now. So <laughs> how am I meant to learn seven? I know which one Jimin is. I know which one. Um, Su- is it Suge? Suge, yeah. Uh, sh- 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 sugar. 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 Oh, God. We're oh, really we're going to get in trouble. We're going to get in trouble. Gosh, we're in trouble. <laughs> anyway, I like him. Yeah, He's we love him. Nice not- young man. No- <laughs> 
How do you know which one he is? How do I know? Because he's the rapper one. The rapper one, yeah, yeah. I got the yeah. medicine, so you can keep your eyes at the ball. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay, our final song battle before we wrap up part one of 2020 Wrapped on Flop Stars. Um, Harry Styles, Watermelon Sugar. Um, <laughs> versus Taylor Swift's cardigan. Watermelon sugar. I feel like you're going to have a strong opinion about this. I've just got a feeling. I just don't give a fuck about cardigan, to be totally honest with you. Yeah. I just, I I just don't care. I just don't care about your, your warm, fire, cozy boyfriend song. <laughs> In the woods. Log cabin. <laughs> Those cardigans toasted. that her merch are, are horrendous. Oh no, we shouldn't say that. We're gonna get. Oh my god! We're gonna Last be three minutes. We're gonna be cancelled. They are a classy must-have Christmas item. <laughs> I just love watermelon sugar. I love Harry. I love the fun yeah. and the unadulterated joy he's had this year with the record. Um, even releasing it in a pandemic, he's not let that get to him. Um, he just put out a great album. Had some good conversations around it, kept close with his fans, made good videos, made good songs. Yeah. Most importantly, he made Very good songs. Very simple, uncomplicated yeah. pop star. People complicate it too much sometimes. It's kind of like what we were talking about with Gaga. Yeah. Harry did it in a very similar way, just with really different records. Um, yeah. And I, all of them feel very authentic to him. This is the album he really has come into his own. Um, there's so many good songs on that album, man. It's a, it's a masterpiece. It's one of the ones I'm looking back on going, oh, yeah, this is actually Yeah, another brilliant. big snub for Grammy album of the yeah. year online, I think. Shocked at that. Police are yeah. coming to arrest you for your comments on Cardigan. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Joe Alwyn's going to turn Joe up Alwyn's in the cop and force on, that god-awful <laughs> Cardigan on me. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I just think Watermelon Sugar is so fun and I really enjoyed watching it climb the charts and, and achieve that number one position. The first song you could code as rock that's been number one since I think Nickelback in 2004. So, um, you know, a changing of the guard in such a heavy, you know, uh, rap and hip hop uh, couple of years. It's, it's, I don't want to say nice to see it, that not be number one, but nice to see there's room for different sounds at the top of the yeah. charts. And then, you know, you look at something like Dynamite going number one as well, and it's like, oh, cool. These are, you know, all these different sounds still have room at the top of the charts. Um, they can coexist. There's room for great music at the top, regardless of what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, Watermelon Sugar is a, such a deserved number one for him and so unusual to see a number one like that happened so long after the album was released as well. And Watermelon Sugar came out before the album even dropped. It was a promotional single. single. That's right. But kind of boosted by a great year for Hazard and a really good video as well for Watermelon Sugar. But I'm a big Cardigan fan. I just like, uh, something just hit me. I've been a big critic of Tay-Tay in the past and something just hit me with... um, folklore and cardigan i just liked the whole mood of it and i got into the way the songs kind of like gradually reached their climax and there was nothing overdone about it and i think cardigan's just a just an example of just how good a songwriter she is yeah and just the fact that she could finally clear away all the shit that was going on like and we'll talk about this because we get we get to tay tay in the next episode but the fact that she could finally get past all the over-the-top narrative-driven stuff she was going on. She was going on and on about, like, post-1989. <laughs> it's just nice to see her arrive at this point, and it's, yeah. it's a really good song, in my, in my opinion. In my opinion. I agree. I think Folklore and Evermore both met the moment this year. Um, yeah. They're records that... I tried to listen to Evermore with a friend in the car the other day, and I realised that these records are for solo listening. They're not... And you guys are in summer now, so yeah. Evermore is not not a beachy <coughs> record at all. It's a However, great winter record. When you're in the middle record. of a snowstorm, <laughs> um, only about two and a half hours from where she recorded it, it it feels a bit a bit point. more of the moment. That's a good point. You're in your log cabin with your little fire and your little mo- marshmallow on a little stick. <laughs> My silly little fire. That silly little me. fire. 
Um, yeah, so we'll talk more about it next time. But for me, you know, if you were to put those two records up against each other, and I think, you know, Harry, I'm probably going to rinse that Harry record again over summer. Golden's just becoming a radio hit over here. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, I think that Harry record's still got some longevity in it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, how fun. Can you imagine if we did to... if we did the second half of 2020 in this episode as well? It would oh, literally... I just have to go without sleep tonight. We were joking about it being two and a half hours, but it probably literally were one hour it 15. It probably so... would have. <laughs> what did we get to? One hour yeah, 15. At... <laughs> On the dot. We've done, we've done very well. That's insane. But... It's a blessing in disguise because we get to come back yeah. and have another little yarn together I'm and excited. go through the second half of the year, which I would argue things got got pretty even more interesting at the end of this. Yeah, we worked out and a new I way think, of releasing records and they came thick and fast. And we're going to challenge ourselves to read out our um, Spotify wrapped just for transparency. I'm so not looking forward to telling you who my number one artist is because I have a story. That really? Oh my God. It's so bad. <laughs> we'll see you next right, week. Well, that's next or episode. in a couple of days, or I don't know. We'll, we'll decide off air. When when? We're gonna we'll definitely do it very soon. Before we'll Christmas. Very soon. Before Promise. Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> hit subscribe. We'll talk to you in a couple of days. Bye. Yay. Bye.